This is Reverend Kirk Lawton, minister at Ocean Lakes Family Campground, and this is our podcast. Our prayer is that this message may enrich your life as you find God especially meaningful to you. Thank you for worshiping with us. Once again, we're very happy to welcome you to our worship service from Ocean Lakes Family Campground here in Myrtle Beach. How we wish we could all gather together as we have been doing for so many years, but we will have to do as many other churches do and come to you by way of a virtual uh, recording, video recording. And it's a, a blessing that God gives to us that we and many other church pastors can share worship services with you by this means. Several years ago, my wife and I had the privilege of traveling one day from the city of Jerusalem down to the city of Jericho. This was the setting of a parable that Jesus told. If I were to ask you, what is the most familiar parable or earthly story with heavenly meaning? What is the most familiar one of all the parables Jesus told? What do you remember most? Probably the top of the list would be the parable of the Good Samaritan. But the parable of the prodigal son is also right up there close to it also. This road from Jerusalem down to Jericho was a treacherous road. I remember as we traveled in our tour bus, I saw rolling hills on either side of this road. It was not like a super highway or an interstate. It was just a, a winding uh, one lane or maybe two lane road very simple road. Back in Bible days, it was a treacherous road because robbers could hide in those little rolling hills nearby. They could come out and attack a traveler who was walking down the road, and before they could be caught, they could retreat back to the safety of the hills. This was the setting for that parable that Jesus told. So this morning, I want to refresh your memory, if I may. I'd like to read that little story once again. It's found in Luke's Gospel, Uh, the 10th chapter. I'll begin reading with verse 25. My favorite of all the Bible uh, uh, translations is the King James. But many times here at Ocean Lakes, I'll read from a paraphrase that is the same basic message, but it's put in words we can understand maybe a little bit better. So I want to read this morning from a paraphrase by Eugene Peterson. It's called The Message. This is the story of the Good Samaritan. Luke 10, beginning with verse 25. Then a religious leader stood up with a question to test Jesus. Teacher, what do I need to do to get eternal life? He answered, what's written in God's law? How do you interpret it? He said that you love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and muscle and intelligence and that you love your neighbor as well as you do yourself. Good answer, said Jesus. Do this and you'll live. Looking for a loophole, he asked, and and just how would you define neighbor? Jesus answered in telling a story. There was once a man traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. On the way, he was attacked by robbers They took his clothes and beat him up and went off, leaving him half dead. Luckily, a priest was on his way down that same road. But when he saw him, he angled across to the other side. Then a Levite 
religious man showed up. He also avoided the injured man. A Samaritan traveling the road came on him. When he saw the man's condition, his heart went out to him. He gave him first aid, disinfecting and bandaging the wounds. Then he lifted him onto his own donkey, led him to an inn, and made him comfortable. In the morning, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take good care of him. If it costs any more, put it on my bill. I'll pay you on my way back. Then Jesus said, What do you think? Which of the three became a neighbor to the man who was attacked by robbers? The one who showed him kindness, the religious leader responded. Jesus said, Go and do the same. King James has that last word, go and do thou likewise. Usually when we hear a sermon on the, the parable of the prodigal son, or if you heard a, maybe or taught a Sunday school lesson on this parable, the emphasis is always on other people, the indifference of the priest or the Levite who passed by on the other side, uh, maybe on the good Samaritan who stopped to, to render aid. That's why we call it the parable of the good Samaritan. However, for these few minutes now, our emphasis is not going to be on any of these. I want us to think this morning about the man who was left beside the road. I think most of us can readily identify with him. There's not really a lot the Bible tells us about this man. We don't know his name. We don't know his race. We have no idea about his nationality. He may have been rich or poor. He may have been educated or ignorant. He may have been old or young. We just don't know. The fact is that this man could have been any person. It could be a person sort of like you and me because there are times in our lives also when it feels like we have been left by the roadside wounded. Haven't you had feelings like this before? Haven't there been times when something has happened in your life that just came to you out of the blue? You had no advanced knowledge that this was going to happen. It may have been an automobile accident. It may have been a bad physical diagnosis you got from your doctor. It may be something like the coronavirus that has decimated our, our regular way of living. Whatever it is, it just comes to us and and when we have these things happen to us personally, we feel been, we've been mistreated. All around us, there are those things and those people who fit this description, like one who's left by the roadside wounded. Let me give you a couple of examples of this. One day, there was a minister who met a very lovely young girl. She was not a member of his church, but she was a member in the community, and he knew her. He knew that she was engaged. But for some time, the minister had moved away, and he hadn't seen this girl in quite a while. When he happened upon her later, several months later, he noticed that she was wearing an engagement ring. And so the minister, in a cordial way, asked, when do you plan to get married? She barely whispered her response. He died several months ago. This girl was left by the roadside, wounded. Some time ago, when I was pastor of a church near here in Myrtle Beach, 
there was a lovely lady who came to see me. She'd been a widow for some years, lonely, uh, no direction much in her life. But then she found a man whom she felt would be an answer to all her prayers to cover and to help her with that loneliness. They were married. They let me perform their wedding ceremony. All seemed to go well for a while, and then one day this lady came back to me, and she told me with a broken heart that their marriage had now fallen apart. Her life was devastated. She had to start all over again now, but this time it was with the sorrows and regrets and the guilt of a failed marriage. Here was a lady who was beside the road, wounded. Many years ago when I was, my father was pastor in a church near Myrtle Beach in a town called Andrews, uh, several of us boys used to ride around on our bicycles on weekends and on afternoons after school. We had a great time, Buck Byrne and Billy Whitley and I. We had a great time riding bicycles. All went well for many years, but then one day, one of those three, two friends of mine, whose name was Buck, became ill. We didn't know what it was, but the diagnosis proved to be polio for Buck. Never again was Buck able to walk or even certainly ride a bicycle. Buck was left wounded by the roadside. I don't need to give other examples. We all have been hurt in some way, or we've seen others who've been hurt, who've been wounded, who've been left beside the road. And you know, it seems that these hardships come to us not when we are so far away from God always, but many times when we feel that we're close to God. We've been going to church regularly, we pray, we may give our money to the church. We, we've been living as close as God wants us to live toward Him. We're making great progress spiritually, but then all of a sudden something comes to us out of the blue, a devastating blow that radically changes our whole life and we can never be the same again. The wounds that we receive are wounds that we'll have to carry with us to our grave. As we look at this parable of the prodigal, of the Good Samaritan, some people might say, well, uh, that man should not have been traveling on that road from Jerusalem down to Jericho. He knew it was a dangerous road. Robbers were always around. He shouldn't have been doing that. He should have stayed at home. Well, uh, I don't think we can always say that he, he did the wrong thing by traveling on that way. There's, there, there's no way we can shelter ourselves totally from the hurts that come to us in life. I heard of a man one time who said he's going to stay home on the 4th of July. He didn't want to get out with the crowds. He said it's too dangerous to be on the highway. But he was sitting out in his backyard that 4th of July, and the report was <laughs> that something fell out of a passing airplane, some small object, and hit him on the head, wounding him severely. Another man I heard about refused to fly in airplanes because he felt it was too dangerous. But one day he slipped in the bathtub at his home and <laughs> severely uh, injured the bones in his neck, broke his neck. Well, you might say the first man should not have been sitting out in the yard, but I don't think we'd ever say that man should not have been taking a bath, the second man. <laughs> 
trouble comes to us all, the fact that life itself carries with it certain possibilities of being hurt. That's a given. Only a person without feeling of any kind cannot be hurt. And that person is probably for all practical, practical purposes dead already. What should we do then? What response should we have? How should we face these problems when we feel that we are left beside the road wounded? When you're wounded, I, would want, to I want to suggest just about two or three things I believe you can do to help in these situations. First, remember you may be wounded, but you're not killed. You still have life, and as long as there's life, there is hope. The first step is to concentrate on your possibilities, not on your problems. Some of you may know the name of Frank Laubach. He was the founder of the Christian literacy movement. He touched millions of lives through the development of a method of teaching adults how to read. However, at age 45, before he started this literacy movement, Laubach thought his life was a failure. Bruce Larson tells the story in his book, There's a Lot More to Health Than Not Being Sick. Larson explains it this way. At age 45, Frank Laubach was a theological seminary professor. He was a missionary in the Philippines. He was next in line for the presidency of that seminary. And when the current president retired, Laubach was hoping to be elevated to that post but lo and behold, somebody else was chosen to be the, the seminary president. Laubach was crushed, and he took off to the hills to sulk like some biblical characters did years ago. He was mad about the unfairness of life, the injustice of God. Why didn't God let him have that presidency of the seminary? At midlife, he was a failure, he thought, by his own standards. Time passed, and Laubach recovered from his feeling of failure. He became a founder of the modern literacy movement, and he became a worldwide leader. In the second half of his life, Frank Laubach developed into a remarkable individual indeed. He was able to help more people than he ever dreamed of being able to help had he become president of that seminary. A great career and, and leading people as students was not a possibility for him. But what he did could never have been possible if he had concentrated more on the problems than on the possibilities in his life. Many golfers know the name Ben Hogan. At one time in his great career, Ben Hogan was hit by a heavy bus and he literally lay wounded by the roadside. Great career in golf was ended, he thought. Everybody else thought that too. It was doubtful that he could ever walk again and surely would not be able to play golf. But as time passed, Ben Hogan got some braces. He began gradually to swing his golf clubs. It was quite painful when he was hitting the ball. But later, Ben Hogan came back to win both the United States and the British championships. 
George Washington fought nine major battles. He lost six of them, but he kept on coming back until he won the war eventually. You see, the greatest tragedy in life is not just the fact that a person is wounded. Even worse is when we give up when we're wounded, give in, fail to see the possibilities in the midst of our problems. Yes, you may be wounded, but you're not killed. That's the second thing I would like to suggest that you remember when you're wounded. And that is that we need to refuse to become bitter. And oh, oh how, how much a temptation this is. I've read somewhere that a rattlesnake, if it's cornered, will go into a panic and sometimes become so angry and excited that that rattlesnake may even turn and bite itself. Well, that's exactly what happens when a person harbors hatred and resentment against another person. We may think we're harming somebody else by holding hatred and, and uh, spite, but really the deeper harm comes to ourselves, to the one who holds that spite. Booker T. Washington, great, great black man of numbers years ago, a leader, once made the statement, I shall never permit myself to stoop so low as to hate any man. Charles M. Crow tells about a man by the name of Lewis Mayer. You may not know the name Lewis Mayer, but you've heard of Metro Golden Mayer, a great movie producer, the combination of those three names. Well, Lewis Mayer, when he was a little boy, got into a fight one day at school, fight with another boy. He came out of that fight second best. And uh, well, that night when he went home, he, just, he was still filled with anger about that other boy who had beat him up. And so he vowed to get even. Uh, he uttered, well, he thought he was by himself, some very hateful words about that other boy. His mother happened to overhear what he said, but she didn't know, he didn't know she was listening. The next day, their family went out on a picnic in the mountains. Lewis's mother called him over to a place, a little clearing in, in the area there where they faced a, a solid mountain wall. She told her son, Lewis, what I want you to do now I want you to say again, you face that wall and you say again what you said last night when I overheard you talking about that boy. Well, he was ashamed to repeat the words he had said. I won't repeat those words right now, <laughs> but uh, at mother's insistence, he said, okay. So he said very softly, curse you. No, 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 that's not right, his mother said. I, I want you to say those words like you said them last night. So reluctantly, but very obediently, Lewis faced that mountain wall in front of him and he shouted, curse you, curse you, curse you. And from somewhere back all around him, he could hear his voice coming back, curse you, curse you, curse you. Then his mother told him, now son, I want you to stand in the same place and I want you to shout these words, bless you. So he did, as his mother had told him to do. He shouted, bless you, bless you, bless you. And the words again came coming back to him. 
Jesus' words are these, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That's from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 44. You see, you cannot express hatred for anybody unless you use that supply of hatred that you have down in your own self. The only hatred you can express is your personal possession. What comes out is what's inside you. Bitterness, retaliation, the use of force in getting things done, that's not the way of Jesus. That always hurts the individual more than it hurts the person to whom it's intended. It's just not worth the price that we pay when we bottle up that hatred towards somebody else. Somebody said, a bulldog can whip a skunk any day, but it's just not worth the fight. <laughs> and that's so true. What bitterness, hatred, violence, anger can do to a person always hurts that person much more than it hurts the person to whom that bitterness or anger is directed. When I was a young boy, we didn't have television. We had radio. And I remember some of you may, who may be as old as I am may remember those days of hearing Amos and Andy on the radio. I remember one episode that, that uh, was on the radio one day that came up a story of when, when Andy had a man, sort of a friend of his, who came up to him and always slapped him on the chest every time he saw him. Just a good-natured slap on the chest. Well, Andy didn't like that. Amos said, well, what are you going to do about that? And Andy explained, I'm going to get me a stick of dynamite, and I'm going to put it in my shirt pocket, and the next time that guy slaps me on the chest, that dynamite's going to go off, and it's going to blow that man's hand off. Well, <laughs> you know, that was back during the days of slapstick comedy. And you get the point, though. Bitterness hurts ourselves far more than it hurts other people to whom it is directed. Finally, when you're wounded, when you're left beside the road, there's one third thing I would suggest for you, and that is know that help will come your way. Often it's help that you didn't expect. And it may come your way that is not anticipated at all. Go back to the parable of the Good Samaritan. It may be like it was with him from a very unexpected source. Don't you know it must have been a real disappointment for that man beside the road in the Bible story of Jesus when he was lying there possibly in a semi-coma and he heard footsteps coming. And he, he looked up and, oh, wonderful, it's the priest, the, the head of the, the temple. He'll come over and help me. But he was astonished to know that the priest moved and passed him by on the other side. What a disappointment. And then a short time later, the wounded man heard other footsteps. And he looked up and he said, oh, wonderful. It's the Levite. Maybe the priest had a meeting he had to go to. But the Levite, another synagogue official, surely he'll come and help me. But lo and behold, the Levite went the other way also and did not stop. The man wounded beside the road probably thought his number was up. But a third time he heard some more footsteps and he looked up through bloodshot eyes 
and he saw of all people a Samaritan. And you know the Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. They called them Samaritan dogs. They called them half-breeds. And so the man concluded, probably rightly so, well, the priest and the Levite wouldn't help me, and I guess this is the man who's going to come and finish me off, a Samaritan. But of all things, that Samaritan came to where the wounded man was, and he stooped over, anointed oil, cleaned his, cleaned his wounds, bandaged them, put him on his own beast, led him to an inn, took care of him. Little did that wounded man realize that help would come from such a source. And isn't it true with us that many times we find that God works in our lives through individuals and circumstances that we would never have chosen to help us? Thomas Edison lost $2 million worth of, of equipment and records and much of his life's work in a fire in the year 1914. That fire practically destroyed the great Edison Industries of West Orange, New Jersey. Edison's son, Charles, found his father in the middle of the night there, standing by the fire, his, the old man's face red with the glow, his white hair blown by the winter winds. Edison said to his son, Charles, go find your mother, bring her here. She'll never see anything like this as long as she lives. The next morning, as Edison was walking about the charred embers of many of his hopes and dreams, this 67-year-old Edison said, you know, there's great value in disaster. All our mistakes are now burned up. We can start again, thank God. Whatever your need may be this morning, God is waiting to help you. Now his help may come from other people that he sends your way, but there's a special way in which God also can give his help as he stands ready to bless you in ways totally unanticipated. Our greatest help is the help that comes from above, from the Lord. Jesus set the tone of his ministry in the first sermon he ever preached. In Luke 4, verse 18, Jesus said why he has come to earth. And one of the phrases, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. And if you feel that your heart is broken, Jesus is there to help heal that broken heart. The first poem I ever learned when I was a little boy is a poem that now hangs just above my desk on a little plaque. I memorized that poem and I, my mother had me to say that little poem in a little contest we had. Children were supposed to say a poem or sing a song or, or do something. So I said that little poem. I remember I got a little peppermint candy stick as a prize for saying that little poem. The poem is written by Elizabeth Cheney and the title is Overheard in an Orchard. It's something that has stuck with me for all these many years. The poem goes like this. Said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, friend, I think that it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. When you're wounded, remember God cares and he's ready to help you. 
if you will just let him in his time and his way. Someone so well said, God can mend any broken heart, but you must let him have all the pieces. Would you pray with me? Oh God, you understand our feelings and you know that in these days of crisis, so many people are wounded in a sense. They're left beside the road. Lord, we don't know where help's coming from or how soon it's gonna come or in what way it will come. But grant, oh God, that we may remember that you're not asleep, you're not dead, you still care about your own and you love us beyond our ability to understand. We pray, Lord, that you'll help us this day to feel your nearness and to know that whatever our need may be, Jesus can help us as we surrender our lives to his Lordship. Thank you, Lord, for hearing us this time in our feeble prayer, which we offer in the wonderful name of our Savior Jesus. Amen. Now I'd like to leave you this morning with a closing thought that I read just this week in a, religious, a national religious magazine. The word is this. Wash your hands and say your prayers. Germs and Jesus are everywhere. <laughs> May God bless you richly this day.